Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. What's good, Internet? It is Tuesday, June 18th, 2019, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 241, the one where we are all still jet-lagged. Uh, I'm your host, Austin Walker. Joining me today was the laughter of Kato on the ones and twos. Hi. On the ones and snooze, because <laughs> yeah, I'm tired. Sleepy. <laughs> sleepy as hell. Why is it? What time is it in the West Coast? It's eight. nine. Eight. I can math. See, eight. that's how bad it is. That's how bad it is. That's how bad it is. Also joining us from the Midwest, Patrick Klepek, about to go back to Los Angeles tomorrow. Yeah, you know, I didn't get enough. I'm just gonna help. I'm gonna take my whole family back to the Los Angeles Convention Center and just we'll see what's there. What's you're gonna left? Go, you're, you're checking on that, that casino for us? What is, let's see. Let's actually see. Have you gotten a response uh, yet? Los Angeles Convention Center. What's we? What's There's going gotta on? Be something there this LA. week, right? Uh, probably. probably. Take them back the to Shaquille's space. now that I'm a regular. No, don't go back. <laughs> uh, let's see. LA's Convention Center. The, the, the calendar. Shaquille's not cheap. I just did the expenses for that dinner. That mm. dinner was expensive. Yeah. <laughs> let's see. Uh, where is just. I don't want to view I got calendar. A calendar right here, right here, right, yeah. here, right here. What's the what day is it? Today is the 18th. Ooh, yeah. that's ah. All right, so Friday. Oh, holy shit! Alien Alien Con 2019, and also the BET Experience. You know, two great flavors they go mashed great together. together. <laughs> Honestly, I would fuck around and go to Alien Con in the morning and the BET Experience at night. Yeah. That seems like the play. That's Sounds like a good my kid, day. Put my kid down <laughs> and be like, all right. I yeah. got that Nest Cam on. I'm gonna leave you at the hotel. You're good, Jessica. Uh, six hundred twenty-five dollars for the Cosmic Pants Pass. Not the Cosmic Pants. pants. The Cosmic Pass. <laughs> Does it come with pants? Our enhanced Alien Con <laughs> experience features a lot of special perks. Uh, Cosmic Pass holders receive guaranteed general admission. Yo, this is not. Let's be clear. This is not for the Fox proper Disney property Alien. No. Nope. This is an Alien Con, as in uh, yeah. when you pay six twenty-five. You get an exclusive session with the stars and creators of Ancient Aliens. With the dude from Ancient Aliens from that, yes, from that, from that meme. meme. <laughs> that I'm dead hey, ass serious. 625. That's him. The That's the guy. The cos- Let me tell you some of the great things you get for $625. For example, an exclusive preview of the Alien Con schedule. Shut the fuck up. What? How much is listed at the bottom? What? So can you not exclusive. see? You can't see what the schedule is. You beforehand? get a you get a ca- you get a calendar invite early. Let's look at the guests here. Uh, <laughs> William Shatner, of course, of course, yeah. of course, of course. My man shows up. Makes sense. Uh, yeah, we still got a complaining lot of... about not being in those new Star Trek movies. Is he? Is that a thing he's been doing? 
Oh, he's for years. He uh, considered it a, a personal slight that Nimoy was in uh, the <laughs> reboot and he was not. And like would just wow. complain about it publicly in every interview. Wow. Damn. Wow. Gotta stay relevant. I gotta tell you, there's a lot of people here who are listed as uh, ancient ancient uh, experts. Ancient, ancient ancient civilization experts. Okay. Ancient civilizations technological experts. And I'm skeptical. Yeah. Because I know how many of the people who walk in this in this field of expertise are just like, well, going all the way down to the bottom. Is who this are the, who? who is are this the... who Stan Lee was mentioning when he said true believers? Yeah, this is just what he oh, meant. Okay, right. He meant oh, first people. <laughs> Brown people could Skin not with... have built the pyramids. It's too advanced for them. Fuck. Definitely aliens. And let me be clear, I believe in aliens. <laughs> me too. I don't know what form. Skip, I would like if to there are alloys, <laughs> but aliens are like brothers to me. But I believe the Egyptians built the pyramids using an array of technologies that were already available at the time. I'm going to get to the bottom of this. You know what? Honestly, I can Stephen A. Smith just stop talking about sports and just talk oh. about Everything else. <laughs> Everything else. If, if he had a talk show oh. that was just a general purpose, like just a call in show where you could ask him about any topic. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. And he'd be like, I'll be right back. I got to check Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. Um, we should talk about video games, though, actually, is what we should do. We made it back from E3, which means the last thing we want to do is talk about video games. But it turns out I checked. And we have a, uh, it says here, a, a video game podcast. Oh, right. So I know sometimes oh, we talk about uh, other mm. things. and like, But Evangelion's not out yet, so we can't. Right. We can't Is that this week? It. Am I, is that, it's Friday. It is, is that Friday. this week? It's this week. Wow. So I just, you know, just conveniently it. timed my flight to be uh -huh. out of town when Evangelion came uh -huh. back. So I can <laughs> avoid the discourse. Uh, Monday evening. Okay, so, so we can have do time for week. the next week. Thing. Yeah, we have to figure yeah. it out. Like yeah. off off mic, we have to figure out what that schedule looks like, and like, yeah, if we can how <laughs> what we can get away with. <laughs> what we can get away with is dead ass serious. It's a twenty six episode show, and uh, we live in a different world. We than live in a we different in world. Past. <laughs> we I did the math the other day, and this time uh -huh. two years ago, there were technically nine people working for Waypoint. Well. Uh-huh. And that that and if even you count if, all the aliens, then it's nine hundred. You know, maybe still <laughs> <laughs> Yes, they're everywhere around me, Patrick. We have the clip to prove that I believe that. Um so we'll have to figure it out. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take away any promises we made, but I am gonna say everything we do, you, hmm, we just have to move carefully in these days. <laughs> well, yeah, we I like what we can say is like we do not live in a world where we can probably spend as much time as a a, a previous version. We had yes. we never. I will this say this is not in no world episodes of well, I want to say just in no world was there ever a version of it where we were going to do like ep episode by episode breakdowns. Not there were like versions episodes, of it no. that we talked about like doing arcs, yes. like packing and that episodes together. It's still feasible. It's just yeah. Whew, you know, depends on the arcs, I guess. Depends yep. on. How many? Yes, we can watch exactly. In a week. Yeah. So I'm gonna do some work this week of just like putting together what that list looks like. Yeah. If you have very strong feelings, you know how to get in touch with us. Gaming at vice.com. You're like, no, this is the order. But please be be thoughtful. 
Also, the discourse is just going to be so much. Mm-hmm. What is that thing called where they rechopped all the prequel movies? Chainsaw? Is that what it's called? The, the, the machete? Cha- the machete. Machete. Yeah. Not is there a machete order for the machete Evangelion order. properties? <laughs> I think it's, it's release order, right? It has to be. Well, but what about rebuild? Where but does that fit in? We haven't. That's not coming to Netflix. So we're oh, good. okay. So right. we're good. And we're also on. Um, that's not how I want to experience it. Yeah, I want to experience like the original. You gotta, you gotta thing. see the original yes. thing for yeah, sure. Agreed. For sure. Yeah. So, Patrick, video games. Kato, video yeah. games. Are video there video games. games we haven't talked about from E3 that we want to mention before we turn to the yeah, questions? Yeah, the one that, the one that came out during E3. <laughs> Cadence of Hyrule. Cadence of Hyrule. Hell yeah. Is that the one? Okay, I want to make sure. Hell sure. Yeah. Have y'all played that? Yes. How much time have you put into it? Uh, Six hours, probably. Okay. okay. I'm bad at that game. <laughs> yeah? You, you're not, like, you haven't like come over the, the hump yet and like found it? I... So to speak. I kind of have. Okay. But like then I also stopped and started playing Breath of the Wild instead so, because I saw what you, I wanted was Breath of the Wild. <laughs> yeah. I saw you make a tweet about shield surfing, so I had the feeling yeah. that maybe you were playing Breath of the Wild yes, again. Yes. Yes. But uh Cadence of Hyrule was is um so I never played the original Crypto Necrodancer. Right. Um I didn't really have any idea. Like I I knew it was like beat based, music based, but like I Went in mostly because I had never like really looked into what Crypto of the Necrodancer exactly was. Mm-hmm. So first, it was wrapping my head around like, oh, okay, it's like those old rogue games, but on a beat, uh-huh. and everything has to happen on that beat, including like using an item or whatever, which is what I kept fucking up. I would like uh, drop a bomb off beat and then lose my streak, multiplier, and then yeah, also yeah, yeah. get attacked by the thing behind me because I keep I kept trying to just drop them as if I could do that in real time wherever or right, whatever. Right. You know, small things like that where you just have to you really, 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 really need to get into the cadence of every single press you're doing is on that thing yeah and also and also unless unless you go into the options menu and then you can turn off all of that wait did you Um, do this for folks that no i'm just like i want to put up front like before we like front load like yeah if you're bad at rhythm games like this is an inaccessible game for you which is uh not true like they eventually added a mode for uh crypto necro dancer which is also in uh canons of hyrule in which it basically turns it into a turn-based affair in which every enemies don't do anything until you move so you can essentially treat it as a Turn-based strategy game. Yeah. Um, you lose, is, I think. So then it becomes a lot of the aesthetic like stuff. It's just but, a roguelike, yeah. Right. At that point, it, yeah. which, which, right? You do. I, I have, but I don't. But, but I know that I've, I've, I've read lots of people that like played enough to like wrap their head around it, enjoy the music, and then said, "Look, if I actually want to finish this thing, right. they were just not going to wrap their heads around the controls." And so I think like it's a totally. I just want to make sure, like up front, that like. Because I just I've seen it like mentioned on Twitter, but I feel like it's lost because maybe in some way it's sort of like not the way to play the game. Right. And I I do think like there's like the pitch of the game is playing on rhythm, playing with the music. I think that's part of what makes it like wholly unique. Mm-hmm. But there's also just another option if you get eight hours into this and go, it's either I do that or I stop playing it. Because um, I've read lots of people had satisfying sort of you know conclusions with the game. Um, Turning on that mode that turns it into to, uh, more of a traditional rogue style game. Yeah, I I I kind of bounced off the original Necrodancer because the thing that appealed to me was the rhythm stuff. But then I started playing it. I was like, this is not how I like to play roguelikes. 
And if I want to play a roguelike, I have so many other roguelikes I want to play, so I don't just want to turn off this one thing that makes it really special. Um, I have, like, a really hard time... I had a really hard time with Crypto the Necrodancer because the thing I love about roguelikes is being able to pause and be like, okay, what do I have at my disposal? And I, this isn't to judge the game and be like, this is a bad game. Like, the, In fact, what, I, what I've come to kind of understand, especially having gone now through also, like, five or so hours of Cadence of Hyrule, is like, oh, okay, there is... The enemy design is, I don't want to say it's simple, but it's working on an axis that is that does not require that same degree of complete pausing. And what it does require is an understanding of their rhythms because they also move on beat. Right. But they don't always move. It's not like for every step you take, they take a step. It's that for every step you take or for every beat that plays, they're, they do an action. they're doing an action. And some of their actions take a few a few beats to trigger, right? So, like, you'll have someone who, like, uh, like, there's a jumping spider that, like, charges a jump, then, like, leaps up and then lands or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you'll have characters that throw spears, and so they're, like, charging up the spear, then throwing it, and then it marks where it's going to land on the next turn. And so, like, beginning to internalize those rule sets, looking at a screen and being like, okay, here is how I can operate given what enemies have, are on this one screen. Like, okay, I got two jumping spiders, I got one of those lizards that's going to fucking charge me, and I got a, a spear-throwing Cyclops guy, you know? Like, I'm like, okay, how do I deal with them? Yeah. Is actually really, really fun. And I've had a, I've actually had a pretty good time with Cadence of Hyrule so far. I don't know if I'm going to stick with it all the way through. Um, because there's already so much on my plate I want to play right now. Yeah. But I really had a good time with it over the weekend. Um, and I hear it's not that that long. Patrick, have you, how far into it are you at this point? I'm like, th I, three hours, like, I'm so close to the end of like SteamWorld Quest that yeah. I keep getting pulled away to like chip away at a chapter there and I'm finally at the last two. But um, I played a couple hours. One of the things that I found more appealing about so I, like you, I didn't really bounce off Crypt of the Necrodancer as much as I played it and was like, cool, I'm going to come back to this and just didn't like a you know billion other games, um, but really loved what it was trying to do. I also think I played it in early access and I tend to avoid early access games because also like everyone here, I have a million things to play. And so I would rather wait till a developer says, yeah. cool, like yeah. we're ready. Um, uh, and so then by that time, I just never quite got uh, back to it. But if I remember correctly, like that one was a little more... Like, so Cadence of Hyrule has, like, a world map in which there are lots of points that you can warp between. So that, And you can have very specific objectives that you're going after. It is not, it is not strictly that, uh, hey, like, uh, you're going, like, down levels and fighting bosses along the way, and then there's a final boss, and you got to survive all that gauntlet in order to uh, make progress. Like, if you've, you know, played Spelunky, it's like, yeah, you can travel between areas, but really, if you're doing a run at that game, you need to go through each individual area, make sure you're powering up, making sure you're getting money, um, and, and really warping ahead is only to study, like, enemy behavior and get a better sense of that area. So when you do a real run, it's, you have a better sense of what to do and you're not surprised. Whereas in Cadence of Hyrule, at least in, like, the three hours I've played, it's actually like, hey, you can go talk to this witch who will, like, put a glowing icon in your map that's like, hey, yeah. go do this thing. And you can keep warping to, like, let's say two spaces before and go figure out what that thing is to do, which may lead you to a dungeon, which may lead you to an item. Um, and I've enjoyed that part of it because uh, as much as I have in, uh, my relationship with uh, roguelikes is sort of hit or miss. Some get me, and then others I find like frustrating to a degree that uh, I just kind of bounce off them. And I think maybe that was part of it with Crypt of the Necrodancer, where at some point, like the rhythm part 
actually got annoying and I was like, like I'd rather just play like a normal platformer that just like lets me do what I want to do in mm-hmm. like uh, in, in the play. Whereas in Cadence of Hyrule, it's like, okay, cool. Like I just want to go do the Lost Woods again. Like just whoop, right. whoop back, right. do the Lost Woods again. And yes, uh, you may not start out with a full uh, suite of equipment, but even your base level stuff starts getting better. Like you may, like for example, like you start with a, a dagger, or if you're playing as a Zelda, uh, that's who I've primarily been playing as same, right now. Same. Um, you start, you have a da- you have a dagger that does uh, attack only at close range. So the square has to be right next to you. But then like pretty early on, you can use diamonds, which are a permanent currency to uh, buy a spear. And the spear lets you hit for one damage from two squares away, which really just like transforms your ability to both play defense and offense and like clear out enemies in a way that it feels much more safe. Um, and that you get that back every single time you go in. That spear right. doesn't break. Um, and so you get little things like, or your health, right? Like you save up diamonds, get a fourth uh, heart, a fifth heart. Wait, um, the spear is a permanent what? upgrade? Yeah, all the weapons are permanent yeah. upgrades. Shit, okay. Yeah, just in well, because inventory. the, 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 the shovel. Of, some weapons, some things the, do break. Yeah, so items the, break. Right, right. Uh, but those, those will, anything that breaks during a run can break. Right, right. So on top of your weapons, on top of your heart pieces, you also get torches, which yeah. either give you like literal light in the in the screen you're at, but mm-hmm. also sometimes can give you views of what's around you on the, the world, the overworld map or a dungeon map. You can also map. use it to burn. You like, can also tr- use it to burn stuff. You get world, shovels, yeah. which can dig through sand uh you get bombs which you can spend obviously what else do you get there's another there's another like main item type that wears out but i forget what it is regardless Um, you get a few of those oh rings rings you get rings that give you special effects yeah and you get damaged those get damaged right Right. totally and some of them are also made of glass which break the second you get damaged but they're also (laughs) often really powerful and there are glass weapons that you can Mm, get and those will break and those do not carry over (laughs) yeah i I got i got some sort of glass i don't know what it was because it dropped, it equipped, I got hit, it, <laughs> it broke, broke. and I didn't even get to see what the perk was on the weapon. It just went <laughs> shatter, and I was like, oh, that's cool, but at least I learned something about the game, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's interesting because, like, so, like, when you die and you go to that menu where you're buying things with diamonds, mm-hmm. you, like, at first, the only ones you could probably get are the shovel or the the, the torch, and yeah. I had to buy those every single time. So by the time I got enough diamonds to get the spear, the other option was also a heart, and I was like, the hearts are permanent, so I'm just going to grab that instead, right, not right, knowing right. that the spear would also stick with me run yeah, to run. Yeah, I, I was the same with you. I eventually just bought the spear when I had like 12 diamonds, and right. I, there was nothing else for me to really buy. And I was like, oh, this thing doesn't break. Huh. That's great. Yeah, uh, good to know. I wish the game had co- like better communicated that because I'm with you. It, it doesn't make it uh, as uh, immediately understandable what is permanent, right. what is like from run to run. Um, but yeah, like those sort of weapons. Like I just got one for Zelda that's a poison dagger. Ooh, so it's like okay, yeah. I can I can hit them for 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 a hit and then walk away and I think they can get hit twice if I just let them kind of hop around but of course you have to get up one square in but I could see that being very useful on like a boss or or something like that right. where I just wanted to get in uh, and get away. So, I haven't gotten that far. I'm in the I'm in the middle of my first dungeon. So I, I beat the first dungeon. I'm headed towards the second dungeon now. Um, you can uh, is so, the uh, first dungeon always like no? You, so m- my dungeon is know, over by the Lost Woods. So no. So. The world is a, the world map is a world map, and also the world map is random whenever you start a new game. So your world map Ooh. and my world map are not the same world map. Interesting. I think so the your general, lost woods are not to the bottom right. Mine are to the direct east of mine the are, castle. Ah. Yeah, top top right. Okay, so I think <laughs> that right might you know maybe it's like they're always to the east, but who knows north south? You know sure. what I mean? Um, 
the I think that they're all comprised of the same building blocks. Do you right. know what I mean? Like it's not. Sure. Like Did you find complete. a fairy fountain in there? In the Lost Woods? I found I one between so. the castle and the Lost Woods. I wish I had that. my Switch with me. Yeah. I pulled up. I did, I did, I forget what even my first dungeon was at this point. It was like crystal, it was ice based. I did an ice dungeon first. Oh. Um, what I will say is like in my first 90 minutes of play, I got a rapier, um, which does two damage from, from, two spaces away and it steps what? you forward. What? And I just have never found anything even close to being as good as that. Yeah, I have the wow. poison dagger now. It, the, the thing that's tough about it is that it does, only does one damage when you're next to somebody, but it does two if you're two steps away and it charges you forward a spot. So like you do have to think about that a little sure. bit, but I've totally internalized the the like just the spacing on that weapon at this point right. to where like it's really good. Yeah. Like I'm having, that I'm having 18, 25 diamond runs where shit. I'm just like, it doesn't even feel like it hasn't felt good in a little while. And that's part of why I'm falling off mm. of it is that the itemization has not worked for me. Um, I feel like I am hope my hope is I'm going to clear another dungeon and along the way I'm going to get, I'm going to get another cool tool. I mean, that's the other thing that, that, that that's permanent. I've also heard the difficulty ramps up significantly okay. in the back half to a degree that people were like, ah, this feels like a certain the way it's been, just, I've seen uh, it like vaguely described as like, oh, the tutorial section is over. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I've, yeah. And so I saw that, that same tweet and I was like. <laughs> that's making me think, that's making me think. So this is not really a spoiler. Like you get into the game and there are four dungeons you're supposed to clear. Yeah. My hunch is the four dungeons open up a back half. Right. And then that's when like, like the game really ramps up, you know, uh, to, to some degree in right. the difficulty. That okay. makes, that makes sense to me. I, um. Yeah, the pay, that makes sense to me given the pace I'm going through stuff right now yeah. where it does not feel that tough. And I'm like, hmm, I don't know. There must be something else here. What I will say is I also really like the tools because I remember the other stuff that sticks, which is like the same stuff that all, that would stick in any Zelda game, Hookshot, Boomerang. Right. You get those tools as you play the game. Cool. And they're actually, really, oh, neat. they're actually really cool to play with in nice. terms of like picking up items from a distance or dragging yourself somewhere with the hookshot or stunning an enemy. Can you like pull an enemy you towards you? You can stun an enemy with the hookshot. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or the boomerang, I want to say. Right now, I have not worked out why I would rather use the boomerang than the hookshot in certain situations. I have to go back and like test around mm-hmm. with it. Um, but they, I think that they do different things. I think like the hookshot has dragged me across to places before. Right. Um, but mm. I do, it has not done like a, a get over here <laughs> scorpion it, spear yet. Is it you can map that to any of the buttons? Yeah, any of the face buttons. Okay. Totally. Right. Totally. Um, but yeah, it seems cool. The music's great. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, coming out of E3, I was like hyped up on Zelda shit. So it was like cool to go in and <laughs> immediately start playing a new Zelda game. But like Yukato, I also revisited Breath of the yeah. Wild and opened up my master mode. Save. I had, I had never done the DLC for that game. I had it's it. Good. I owned it. It's and I was good. like, it's so better like, than it. Finally. I should just fucking do this finally. Yeah. Totally. Now's the time. <laughs> Get yourself that motorcycle. Listen. Hell yeah. Um, the, uh, I keep thinking about trying out the dolphin emulated Breath of the Wild stuff because that game just looks so good on PC. Which oh, being able to play that at 1080p, 68 oh right? sounds or 4K or whatever, whatever like it sounds is. incredible. Yeah, I just want to see it. I just want to see it on my own screen and yeah. just like bask in it. And also, that would give me an excuse to just play through again on normal mode. Whereas right, right now I'm playing on master because I've beaten the game on normal mode. I've gotten most of the stuff. I like. Yeah. I sometimes load into my regular mode, save, just like go find one or two shrines I have left. Right. Um, I mean, I probably have like 20 shrines left actually, but like they're so hard to find at this point because I found so many other ones. Right. And I'm like, eh, I, I don't want to get a map. I don't want to like look up online where the missing shrines are or anything like that. So it's like, 
if I had an excuse to play through again on normal, because master mode is fun, but it is so hard. It is very difficult. It's very difficult. The so. regen gets me every time. I'm like, oh, Same. yeah, that person's Same. almost dead. Same. Oh, wait. Yeah. <laughs> but I loaded up my master mode save and just went to um, Kakariko Village and was like, I'm just going to do a bunch of weird side quests for NPCs. And it's yeah. like, hang out in the safe town. I don't have to fight anything. <laughs> I can kind of bask in the Breath of the Wild glow and move on. <laughs> Uh, so that was fun. Nice. Um, was there anything else? You know what? Give me a Switch Pro that like gives yes. me a 60 FPS mode in yep. that game. 100%. Oh if, there, if that's not on the table, like, why are you making a Switch Pro? If that's not the no. thing. <laughs> Nintendo doesn't do shit like that, though. So. Fuck. Yeah. But, mm, fuck. Maybe. But come on. I mean. <laughs> come on. I know. I, yeah, it's definitely a come on, but. <laughs> Nintendo. Uh, we'll see. Like, how, how cool would that be to have, like, one more piece of DLC that, like, I, okay, Randy Pitchford, Gearbox, Borderlands, yeah. complicated. Uh-huh. But yeah. I absolutely fucking love that they put out DLC for Borderlands 2 as a way to get you back into Borderlands 2 and set up some narrative hooks for 3. I think it's just, like, a smart, fun way to have people revisit a game that they really enjoyed and yeah. have an ex- a reason to go back in. Yeah. I wish more developers did. I understand the reasons they don't. There are probably a lot of logistical and marketing reasons to not have people playing an old, cheaper game when the new one is coming out. Um, but damn, like, if there was some DLC that was, like, some epilogue shit that, like, what if what if there was some DLC, like, this winter, early next year, yep. that was that intro Dude, that I had trailer. this exact thought uh, on the flight back. And it, and it ends with just, like... With that cutscene. Okay, like, here's, here, here's the... Right. No, or you get, like, a little little more taste of, like... The world transformation. It says like, all right, if you want to keep playing, you have to, you know, go back to the beginning before the cutscene was initiated, and you know, go jump back into the world. Or what if that world permanently changes? But all that's changed is just like the castle's moved up, and you can look at that shit. Dude, and you can just study so it. Fucking good, right? Oh, that'd be so. You could, you could like try to figure out a way onto it. Oh, that'd be great. Uh, I people start data mining that thing, spoil the whole story a year before it comes I out. Love it. Can't wait. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I was thinking that same thing. Also, real quick, I did say Dolphin was the emulator. It's Simu. It's at C-E-M-U, not, not Dolphin. I think Dolphin is the Wii is one. Is Dolphin the Wii one? I think it is, yeah. Right. I think C-E-M-U is the one that lets you play uh, uh, Wii U games, maybe. I don't remember. I don't remember how, how the fuck that. Sure. Deeply illegal shit that I'm not uh, suggesting anyone else do, but I bought that game twice. Like, awesome. It's for preser- preservation, baby. Preservation and also 4K. <laughs> And also, I'm I mean, you saw Bernie Sanders tweet this morning. He was like, we need to preserve the history of, of video that's games. That's what he said. He's Bernie very, Sanders he's came very out. interested in it. He said, Frank Cifaldi, <laughs> I, I'm happy with the effort you're doing. I can't do a good Sanders. I can't. I can't. I, w- I want to hear close. Stephen A. Smith do a Bernie Sanders impression. <laughs> I, I definitely can't do that without practice. You got to give me a week. You got to give me a week. I do what, what I want to see is Stephen A. Smith do a Bernie Sanders interview that's what i actually <laughs> yes oh my. again want. just have Stephen a smith do a look they're giving everybody late night talk everybody shows, right? everyone's trying to crack the format give Stephen a late night cultural right. com- it's gonna be right. problematic as shit it's, it's gonna, gonna be, be a, it's gonna a be capital terrible. p problem yes and we know that going into it as a culture in many different ways it's gonna be problematic because he's gonna say some bad shit it's also gonna be problematic because it's not gonna be a good television show <laughs> But I'm no. gonna love it. It's it's just the viral clips. clips. Will be good. Yes. <laughs> the clips yes. will yes. be good. Uh, the clip it, show. Yeah. That's what it's called. With Stephen A. With Smith. Yep, exactly. Man, I just watched I just watched Link do the parry on this Guardian in sixty in sixty FPS four K. That's a good looking video game right there. <laughs> Look at this. Well, that's a that's an ad for Google phones. So that's not 
I was going to show you, Kato. I want to see it. I'm going to show you. Give me a second here. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready. How many? Jesus Christ, this. the frames. The frames. They got them frames. Oh, that's that good. lighting. The lighting looks great. The, the, the textures. And this is just his link. Here's mods. You play yeah. as whoever you want now. You yeah. want to play as Ryu? You can probably play as Ryu. You want to play as <laughs> Master Chief? Wait. I bet Master Chief is in this game now. Stephen A. Smith? Can is I Stephen play a. as Smith him? Smith in Breath of the Wild yet? Probably. Anyway. <laughs> uh, more. Six years later, someone add, there's my headline. Someone <laughs> adds Stephen A. Smith to Breath of the Wild. <laughs> Wow. Oh God! Um, did y'all play anything else at E3 to talk about that we didn't hit on uh, the pods? There was oh okay, this is short. Um, it was at the Indiecade booth. Yes, and you might have seen it, Austin. It, I believe it's called uh, the Pixel Cube. The Pixel. Oh, it's a, it's like the Rubik's. It's like a big cube that lights up. It's a square. It's a square. It's, yeah, it's a square. It's like a cube that um, the the lights on it look very similar. To like a Pac-Man yeah. board. Um, if you've ever gone to an arcade, like a GameWorks or a Dave and Buster's, where they have like the really big like Pac-Mans that like fill like a whole wall. Mm. Like imagine like that sort of like massive uh, like bulbs like brought down into a cube that you can kind of hold and rotate. Um, and the, the demo uh, they had there uh, um, that they're just like figuring out production on. Is a very simple thing. It's just a maze, and it has an accelerometer in there. So you like there's a little orb, mm-hmm. and you're just moving this orb around a maze, but you're physically moving this cube, and it was just it was just really neat. Um, and they were talking about how they've already built out like a developer API. It's going to be a Bluetooth speaker as well. The like production unit is like half the size, and like a like the bulbs are like a much uh, higher quality. Um, and it just seemed like, it seemed the kind of thing I was like, yeah, like I could see. This would be like a cool thing to have, like on a in a living room when people come over. Is like solve this fucking electronic maze. I don't. It's just neat. I, there are many times where you just sit down with something and go, "All right, cool, that's cool." <clears throat> and that was my takeaway from the Pixel Cube. My Indiecade shout out is a game called Dicey Dungeon, Dicey Dungeons, Dicey Dungeons, Dicey Dungeon, Dicey Dungeons, Dicey Dungeons. I think it's I think it's S. It is. I think it's it is. It is. And that's uh, Terry Cavanaugh, Chipzill, uh, and Marlo Dobb, D-O-B-B-E. Uh, it's you can I think you can get a version of it from Itchio right now. Let's see. Nope, it's gone on Itchio. It was up on Itchio last weekend. There was a build. There was of it. like a beta. Or yeah, it was a beta. Right? Yeah. That's gone now. It'll be back. I think on Itchio and Steam for PC later this year. I want to say. Um, it is how to how to describe it. It is a roguelike uh, in which you play as a little dice that is going on an adventure and fighting really colorful, cool monsters um, like evil wizards and like. People made out of vegetables. Um, and what else did I fight? I fought a bunch of cool shit. Um, the mechanic is really cool. Did either of you play? Because this is the thing it reminds me of Tharsis. Tharsis, no. All right. So there was a game that was by. Is Tharsis? The name is familiar. Yeah. I'm trying to remember who was on, who was on Tharsis. I want to say Zach Gage worked on it, but I don't want to give Gage full credit because I think it was a full team. Oh, right. Um, it was a co-partnership with the BitTrip uh, uh, runner uh, folks. Yes. Uh, uh, choice. They were Gaijin Games. Now they're... Cho- yeah, is it choice, choice Provisions? Is that them? Choice Provisions, yeah. yes. Um, so it's a, it's a... This is a... There's a model of tabletop game, not just RPG, but like tabletop board game in which the this dice mechanic exists. And and so maybe you'll you'll... Uh, remember this from somewhere if you're listening. You have 
let's say at the very beginning of this game, you have two dice on your side uh, and you have two things in front of you. And what they say are, um, you know, uh, an attack and then it's like sword, right? And the, the sword thing has a dice icon on it, like an empty dice icon. And then there's another thing that is like uh, you have the other thing, which is a special ability is called reroll. And every turn, you get to put a dice in to each of those things. So you have kind of a slot, basically, on that sword that says, do damage equal to the dice you put in there. So you roll your dice and say you get a five, you say you get four, five, six, right? Or let's actually say you get four, five, five. Well, you could put the five in the sword, do five damage. Or you have that reroll ability that says you can reroll any dice three times, right? So you're like, all right, let me reroll that four and see if I get a six. And I'll reroll it until I get a six. And if I don't, I'll put the five in. That's how it starts, right? Mm. Then as you get new mm. equipment, you get new, more interesting abilities around that stuff. So eventually I got something that was like, uh, hey, you can do a fireball attack that is that is equal to, it's like six damage plus it sets the enemy on fire. It sets one enemy die on fire because the enemies are also doing the same dice thing. Uh, and when an, when an enemy's dice is on fire, they take damage if they try to play that dice. And But to play my fire attack, I had to put a total of eight points or more into that one weapon, basically. Mm. So I roll my dice, like, okay, I got four, three, three. Like, shit, I can put all of those into the staff to do this attack. Or I could put it back in my sword and at least do that four straight up and then re-roll. You know what I mean? You can start right, doing right, that right. stuff. The items are really, really cool. They're like – they end up being um, this really – it's such a simple dice mechanic that you can end up doing a lot of really flavorful things to to change up what you're like um, – what your character feels like. He's like, you mm. get this, you have like a limited inventory. Sorry, you have a big inventory, but you have a limited amount that you can wield. You basically can like right. put a certain amount of items on your character. So like an example here from just like looking at their page, there is one that is like uh, an elemental thing where like, oh, uh, this thing required burning light. Uh, you can do fire damage equal to the number of, of points you put into this thing, but you have it has to be four or more. So if you get a th roll three, you can't fucking spend that three there. Mm. Or this is like a reward. You could pick one of these three things. You could get an electric shock, which is, hey, it does electric damage. It's actually electric plus one damage, but you can only put even dice in there. Huh. Or you get the ice shard, which is the same thing, but only with odd dice. It's kind of hard to explain, but the second you start to play it, you're like, I want this on my phone right fucking now. Right. Because the, the, the feeling of just like, all right, where do I put these dice? And then looking at your opponent's page and being like, um, okay, this opponent's really cool because they only have one die. I can deal with that pretty well. But then you look what their abilities are. There was like a wizard I fought where the wizard had six different spells mm. and each one was... You just the wizard just put the die into whatever one spell was equal to that number. It was like this spell needs a one, this spell needs a two, this spell needs a three. Right. And if that wizard rolled a fucking six, I was toast because a <laughs> wizard is a wizard. Right. Um, and so stuff like that, it's just like really flavorful in that way. Uh, I was also only playing like the base demo, and like there's a bunch of different characters that are going to be in the game. It just it's like a really f cool way of handling. Mm -hmm. It feels like. Um, Do you only play one character at a time? Yeah, you only play, uh, okay. at least in what I played, right, yes. Right. It reminded me in some ways, Patrick, of something like um, uh, SteamWorld Quest in that it takes a very mm -hmm. simple set of mechanics and does stuff really flavorful and like um, really like – not like it's an intro level game to this sort of dice rolling, but mm. like 
the it lays out the fundamentals so clearly that the depth can come later and you won't get scared off by a billion dice on screen at first. You know what it's I mean? Be, it's being deliberately right. designed, yes. it sounds like, in the same way the SeaWorld Quest is where, look, t- t- the early hours may be a little boring for people who know yes. like what's up, but it'll it's not being sacrificed for depth. It's being sacrificed because there are lots of people that are relatively new to these style of games. Exactly. Even if in the grand scheme of things, they're not a whole lot different than playing a JRPG no, or right. any other game where you're like, like real, like that's what I've like learned, you know, now 15 hours of steam world quest is like, Oh, okay. Like I'm just, I think people think deck, people think yep. like they hear certain terms and they get overwhelmed. But in reality, like, especially in the way these games are approaching them, it's really not dissimilar to like just assigning, you know, a skill tree have to, the, to characters right. and, and other exactly. games. Exactly. Yeah. You have the basic understanding of what that stuff is. And like, you know, you can even start thinking about decks in terms of things like active time battle or like cooldowns. Do you know what uh, I mean? I think about something like Slay the Spire right. where I know Kata, you've been putting some time yeah. into that too, where you have something like, okay, I have this one fucking great card in my deck, but I just spent it. That means it's on cooldown. That means it's right. in my discard until that I cycle. ability is yeah. on cooldown. Yeah. Right, exactly. It's like, except I can try to speed that up because maybe I have a card that lets me pull something from the discard pile and put it on the top of the deck. Maybe everything that lets me just discard a bunch of cards at once so I can kind of cycle the deck more quickly. And once you start thinking about those, those things in broader terms, I think two things happen. One is it is easier for you to see those same threads throughout all of a lot of this type of game design, including like you remember a lot of video games get get uh, uh, prototyped first as tabletop games. They'll build right. out a card-based version of even games that have nothing to do with cards because it's or there's um, useful. famously a GDC GDC session where they do the reverse, where yes. like yeah, yeah, yeah. it's an intro to game design class where it's like take very big games, games that you love, and then turn them into a tabletop game to understand what like the underlying rules are that are driving right. the moment to moment. Totally. Gameplay. The other thing that I think happens interesting once you can start seeing those threads is it becomes it you get a, a, a language for telling and understanding the, the kind of like narrative of play where you get those exciting stories like I just needed this one fucking card to come up so bad. I mean, this happened to me last night. I was playing, I was actually playing Battletech um, uh, Urban Warfare, which is the new mm. Battletech expansion. And you know, I, so two nights ago, I posted a thing that was like, my fucking team is in shambles. <laughs> I finished a mission. All of my two, – two of the four mechs I had were completely destroyed. All Shit. four of my main pilots were in the med bay. Fuck. Two of them should have died. Like two of them, the mechs blew up. I uh. got lucky and <laughs> they were in the med bay for 96 days and 128 days, Jesus which Christ. is a long time. Yeah. Think about like what if you had to not go to work for 128 days? But That sounds great. I mean that sounds great. But then, okay, what if we owned a small business? What if Waypoint was a small business? <laughs> uh-huh. And okay. And, there Feels was, like it and it was four of us. It was five of us because I had five people in my med, in my mech, my mech team. We had nine people. We had what nine happened? people once. Let me tell you. <laughs> let me tell you about the cockpits. Yikes! Things went bad. I, I maybe made some bad decisions. Um, people ejected. <laughs> people switched to work companies. Sorry, Danica. You know what? Uh, shout outs. You know yeah. what I mean? Someone should someone should hire hired hashtag hire Danica. Actually, um, <laughs> the the so things were looking bad. Everyone was was in was in the med bay, and I was still paying their salaries because I'm a good person. I wasn't cutting them out. I wasn't like fuck off. Right. I'll hire new people when it's time to hire new people. I'm not. I don't run a video game company. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's not what I do. Uh, and so I'm just incurring debt. I'm just like getting closer and closer and closer to going bankrupt. And once you go bankrupt in that game, you're done. Yeah. Like, and then I hit this event 
Uh, I got to the point where it was literally I had a mission to do that I knew would pay my bills for a while. And that started the I could I could my mechs would be ready to go in five days. My bills would hit in six days, but my Jesus. pilots wouldn't be ready for seven days. Uh, I was like literally couldn't send them back out. Like the, wow. they couldn't they wouldn't be cleared to, to be released. Right. On day four, I got an event. Where, or like, you know, in, in Battletech, there are these random events that let you, um, that kind of tell background stories of like stuff happening on your ship, basically. Yeah. And in this one, two of my pilots who were still sick got mad at my character because my character was like up and about because they're the commander and they have to like go do shit. Right. And they're like, fuck off. We want to like do stuff. And so they were like going on races through the ship and stuff. And my options were either to encourage them to try to like get back on their feet more quickly or to say like, fuck off, listen to the doctor, stay in bed. And so I did that second one because yeah. I care about my workers. I'm not here to encourage. I'm not <laughs> no crunch culture at, at the Waypoint Met mercenary group. Um, and so they were like begrudgingly got back in bed. My character explained to them like, listen, I have some extra responsibilities that I have to take care of right now, but I need to look out for you. You get back in bed. And it bumped my med tech points up by two, which when that happens, it changes the speed at which people right. heal. So it <laughs> went from they would be healed the day after bills are due to they would be healed the day before bills are due. I immediately suited them up and threw them back onto the onto the field as if uh, as if wow. as if I were the Golden State Warriors, maybe sending people out too soon. Uh, and they made bank for me. They didn't no tour in ACLs, thankfully, on my mech pilots. But that story worked so well for me, not just because like. Like, it wasn't just like there's a cool event. It right. was I understand the mechanisms of, of play in which the bills are coming due, the med tech points increase the speed of uh, which I'm healing. And if I didn't understand that stuff already, then it would have just felt like a random event and I would have gone on with my life. Sure. But because it was like I made an executive decision to put them <laughs> back in bed, they were ready to hit you know hit the road and actually work for me just in time to pay those bills. And that's one of the reasons I love that small games like Dicey Dungeons and SteamWorld Quest and Slay the Spire are opening up people's minds a little bit about this like second layer or like under layer of game design that happens that is a little bit more like not like mathy but like numbers driven and like oh hey this is this stuff is applied and thinking in a steps lot of ahead places. in a way that yes. like a lot of games don't like for example to explain like how I backdoored into Revelation in like my actual playstyle on Steam World Quest um, it becomes clear really early on that poison is just incredibly powerful mm. for one <laughs> like especially when you're waiting for the cards that you want it's useful to have attacks that are occurring passively right, sure. um, but it's just does just an incredible amount of damage to the point that it feels like slightly overpowered until like late game where they introduce enemies that are poisoning your whole group and you're like actually yeah this shit actually is overpowered they shouldn't let me use this on the enemies because it's really devastating to my crew as well um but what i found was that i was um and this happened when I, I uh, in, when I was playing last night. Where I was like, "Oh, I have one character who is uh, can cast poison for so in Steam World Quest for people who played it. Um, the way you accrue points to spend on cards is by there are certain cards that don't cost uh, anything, and usually there's like a basic attack or something like that, but they don't do anything particularly special. Um, there are also uh, cards that." Uh, can like do a status effect and cost zero points, but you don't accrue a point as a result. And so in this case, I have like my my tank, my healer. Uh, he's kind of functioning as a tank healer sort of thing. He just takes a lot of damage and also heals everyone up. Uh, he can cast poison for 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 zero. Um, but then I have another character 
who just got a card that can infect everyone with a status effect that one oh, enemy wow. has. Okay. And I have another enemy so like ex- or another character you're like moving that status effect to everybody. Right. So I poison. I poison. Yeah. So mm. like I'm, I poison one character. I, I chain it up with the the I forget what the card is called, but the one that expands that status effect to everyone. So like four enemies on the screen now suddenly all they're poisoned. Then I have another enemy or another character who um, one of the ones that I just got from him is uh, he has a high chance to uh, do a weak attack that confuses everybody for three turns. And so basically, like, one of, like, these chains I'm setting up are, like, everyone's poisoned for three turns. Now they're confused for three turns, and they're attacking each other for three turns. And so I backdoored my way into looking at my deck and realizing, oh, I'm running a status effect deck where I'm not actually doing a whole lot of, like, offensive damage. I'm just finding ways to, like, fuck with them through status effects. And and my deck for these three characters is a status-based deck that I didn't plan it that way. I just found myself building... Because I guess because... The thing that wor- the thing that stresses me out about deck building is when it's like you're just looking at a hundred cards and it's like build a deck. <laughs> and it's like okay, like I'd rather the game just sort of tell me like here's a deck that does this and then like I could tweak it from there. And Quest doesn't do that, but by virtue of just observing the game, realizing oh status effects are extremely powerful, not necessary, but they are extremely powerful if you want to go that route. I ended up building a deck that was entirely focused around that. Where now. That I realize that's my base. I am now just building and upgrading cards that are built around just sleeping people, confusing people, you know, berserkering people, like doing these different status things that sort of allow me to just kind of hang back, like build up my like defensive stats and heal myself and just let everything else take care of itself. Right. I I had almost the exact same thing happen to me in Say the Spire recently on my current run. I I had kind of dismissed the second character, the silent, after like not really understanding. Oh, really? The, like, oh, build. I love her so much. And then like I got a couple poison cards, and I was like, "Let's see what poison is about." Because like my first couple runs, I didn't get like nearly any, and I was like, "I'm still trying to figure out what exactly this character does." I got the some poison setup cards that allowed me to build a poison and poison like one point of poison deals one damage in between like when it swaps from your turn to the enemy's turn, uh, and then it goes away after. The next turn, right? But I got a card that gives a the I got two different cards that really like changed the way that I played that game. Uh, one is like whenever I deal any any sort of damage, it ups their poison by one, like any Ooh, yeah, any yeah, yeah. any attack. The second one was mm, every yeah. single turn they just gain two poison. Oh. They're just taking up poison yes, every single. Yes. And then the third was this was like amazing. The, yeah, like the key to remember here is in 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 uh, Slay the Spire, poison isn't just set damage. Poison does the amount of damage that the number associated yeah. with that poison is. Yep. So if it's ticking up every turn, every turn it's doing more damage yep. too. <laughs> so what was the third thing? The third thing was a card I got, well, two. Actually, there were four things <laughs> that like made this amazing thing happen. This where combo, basically, yeah. yeah. Uh, one was uh, um, I found a card that was like um, hold uh, hold one of the cards in your current hand to the next turn. Right, that's a good card. And that it's like a is that a power that you yeah, can yeah play? it's a so power. Like, so like every for turn, that whole fight, you can carry over one card from turn to turn. You can kind of sit on it. Yeah, um, not just one. You could switch in between if right, you decide. Right, right. Yes, like yeah, I'll yeah. I'll pick a different card for this next turn, but. Uh, I got a card that was double the poison on yes. a, a current enemy. Yes. I was up against this super tanky uh, enemy. So the champ um, was it? It was. It's like a big knight with yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. A, just a big sword yep. and like had uh-huh. like two, like three hundred HP or some shit. And I was just like, 
having like I was like not dealing enough damage with all my normal stuff but I got all my poison stuff in in play yeah. and I saw the number like ticking up like I got it to like 50 he was at 100 HP yeah, I hit I that him. double You're because I've been, done. I've been holding that double yes. until it got to the right amount of HP boom then <laughs> it was so, so perfect that's so uh, perfect those are the those are the things that are like so good about that game yeah um I Patrick I'm excited for you to beat SteamWorld Quest and then I guess Cadence of Hyrule is like a as like a a cooldown <laughs> from card games so you can get to slay the yeah. I'm so curious how that will feel after SteamWorld Quest. Um, My friend Janine, you're familiar with Janine Hawkins, uh, recently beat SteamWorld Quest. And one of the funny things that she was telling me about about it was that it is a game where – she is she historically is someone who's like doesn't like dying in video games like many people I don't like to die in video Mm -hmm. games. That's, you know, (laughs) fair. Um, But she was saying like she doesn't mind it dying in SteamWorld Quest compared to other RPGs because she could always, there was always a lesson from that death in a way that doesn't always come across in something like Elder Scrolls or Dragon Age where like, oh, I guess I just fucking died. Like, cool, I guess the dragon hit me too hard or I guess a bandit shot me in the head from across the camp. (laughs) Whereas in SteamWorld Quest, it's one of those things where you're like, okay, this is her quote was like, okay, um, uh, I guess he's immune to these status effects, so I'll pull those cards out, and then uh, he's doing a lot of magic, so maybe I don't need physical debuff cards. And that style of, like, very clearly seeing what the enemy does turned that game, opened up that game for her in a way where she she described it to me as being, like, she understood why why people did recon runs on Dark Souls bosses for the first time. Whereas, like, and that is true in in SteamWorld Quest from playing it a little bit. It's like, yeah, I go into fights sometimes just to be like, all right, what what do they got? And that's 100% the way I play Souls bosses, too. Um, And I think that's really cool, opening up that specific feel of, like, I'm not just playing to win. Sometimes I'm playing to figure out an encounter and then work around it. I know, Kato, that probably means a lot to you as a Destiny Raider, where you're like, (laughs) oh, my God. This is not the run. No, it's not the run. we know how this run. works. Yeah, um, I mean that's exactly what happened when we did the the blind raid recently. Right, was we got to the boss encounter and like our goal was not not we have to beat this boss. It was like we need to get to the next phase. Yeah, what happens after all these like disparate parts line up and then what's next? It's just seeing it was like the. Like the exciting goal, the, and next step, right yeah. the reward also in a sense exactly. right. I'm so curious what you'll think of Seymour Quest as you wrap it, Patrick. So keep us in the loop. Yeah, on that. one thing I'll say to uh, uh, Janine's point is that it makes um, experimentation and scouting very easy, right. and mm. uh, it's not punishing. So the game saves on every screen. So you're constantly like scrolling between. You don't have to go to a like, save little. Point. You don't have to go to like a. No, the, there there are there are statues that you get to usually once halfway through a dungeon or right before a boss that heals up, but also respawns all the enemies. Um, in, in, in so they're bonfires the basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's like useful if you want to grind. Like it's it has yeah, you know yeah. all those those components. Um, but what's what's uh, uh, you don't really need to do that very often unless like you have a specific card that like is really you want to get your healing card up a couple of points. But it seems like this kind of game that actually you could not upgrade any of the cards and it wouldn't make like that much of a difference. Is mostly on the margins. Um, but um, what's nice is like it's e- very easy to run from a battle. You can always, uh, you know, if you uh, run into an area, you don't like it, you can run out. Like it's just the game is very uh, it's f- making you focus on the thing that actually matters mm-hmm. and what it's trying to teach you, which is the actual combat part and learning about what it's trying to uh, 
what the takeaways are for the player rather than all the other stuff also being like oppressive and confusing and scary. It's like all that stuff is very easy, very simple, very forgiving. And then once you get into the fight, like it may whoop your ass immediately. Right. But it's always like very good at communicating like what the, where the failure is coming from. Like, you know, you'll get into a fight where, you know, instead of just being poisoned once, like this character is going to constantly cast three-person poison. So you got to have at least one person with an immunity. So it's the same thing Janine's saying, where it's like, it's very, very illustrative. That team is so impressive. They make different genres of games every single time and somehow knock it out of the park in a way that shouldn't be possible. (laughs) And yet they've done it, you know, three times now. So fuck it, you know, do whatever you want. Make an MMO, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Is that right? Are they doing that? Is that a thing? No, they're not. Uh, I I'm, like, just, oh, no. I'm that- just saying. Like, they, I mean, they clearly they they pick they and choose could. their battles like very yeah. strategically. Like like they scope in a way that uh, allows them to do it. But it's just like they make an action platformer. They make an XCOM style game. Mm-hmm. They make a right. uh, you know a, a card based RPG. And it's just like you shouldn't be able to do that like every eighteen months. And yet this team constantly does it every and time. It's it's uh, very impressive. Can I give a quick shout out to a mechanic from Breath of the Wild that bonfires reminded me of? Always sure. Blood okay. Moons. And Blood the moves. fact that that like that simple act of like being like we're gonna respawn the enemies, but for a reason and on a cycle, mm-hmm. it's made that world feel that much more alive and like just like one of the small things that that game has that reminds me of like another game might have just respawned enemies when you came back into an area after having gone away for a while, right? Yeah, and like this is just like another one of those amazing touches that really sets that game apart from lots of other open world games. It is, uh, yeah. All I'm thinking about right now is Breath of the Wild. Yeah. So I, I've been thinking a lot about Blood Moons. I've been thinking about lore implications of Blood Moons. Yeah. We can't. Oh my Did God. you? Do y'all know about the Tetra Force theory? What? I can't get into this. Wait, is you, this Austin? You should save that. You should save that for another podcast. We're talking oh, yeah. about doing Tetra. It's a name given. Okay, you're right. Wait, we should stop. The middle one. It's not the middle one. That's oh. the thing. The whole thing? It's not. What? This is a whole other thing. <laughs> oh my god! We're okay. Get into okay. It. Not here. <laughs> we'll have to consult. Someone. Holy shit! We've 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 been we've been contacted by some experts. Some, we'll ex, some lore experts. Hell yeah! So oh my we'll, god! We'll, we'll we'll figure that out. That sounds exciting. Um, we should take a break. Yeah. And when we come back, and we then actually do E three. <laughs> do E three. We'll take some questions from fans because we have yeah, yeah, some. Yeah. On, on some stuff from E3 that we didn't get to or, you know, questions that they had about it in general. So we will be right back. Enjoy these messages or this music. Both probably. Probably both. <laughs> Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And we are back. 
uh, with some questions from you. If you have questions, you can always send them to gamingadvice.com. Not gamingadvice.com. That's not an email address. Every Gaming time you say those. Vice yeah. <laughs> dot com. Is there a name hmm? for the at symbol? The at symbol. Gaming, the at symbol, <laughs> vice, period, com. Oh, the, the, C-O-M. The at symbol is one of our secret names. <laughs> See, I saved that one just in case. Check us out Got on Patreon. Check us out on Patreon. <laughs> um, James writes in, Rochester James apparently, writes in and says... Uh, hey, all about a decade ago, I was at the first PAX East, and I played Half-Life 2 Lost Coast on an egg-slash-gimbal mouse alternative, which I think, do they mean the... Um, the one that's the, like 3D... The 3D, what was that called? Was that the Novant Falcon? What? The Falcon, damn. Novant Falcon. Type in Novant Falcon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Talk about that Novant Falcon. Novant. N-O-V-I-N-T. Novant. I think that's what they're talking about. That thing's cool looking. Oh, wow. Anyway, yeah. uh, they say they played the Half-Life 2 Lost Coast on an egg-slash-gimbal mouse alternative. It was pretty cool, but I think the business plan was half-boiled since I never heard of it again. Did y'all get to see or interact with any control setups or interfaces that were different or exciting at E3 this year? Patrick, you already talked about that cube. Yeah. And yeah, anything else? Any other weird controllers? Any other Kensha Hall-type shit? <laughs> I don't think I saw. Like, there's a lot of chairs. A lot of no, gaming was really chairs. Really, not a year for it. Even even VR was like pretty downplayed. Yeah. Um, this year. Um, yeah, I don't. I think it was. It's yeah. Lots of gaming chairs for sale. Um, which is not a thing that I normally associate with E3. Yeah, no, I, I've used that gun attached to the Novan Falcon before. That was set up in like a fries. Fucking gun. It's a it's like a attached. gun. It's like a pistol. It's like the back half of a pistol attached to something that looks like it's out of portal. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. No, I don't think I had anything there. I think uh, there was some other cool stuff in the indie, uh, in the uh, indiecade area, but I didn't try it. Um. There was like a another VR game that I didn't play that I think had unique controllers, mm. but I didn't see anything else. Yeah. Um. John writes in uh, and says. Uh, I think this is a set of haikus. Good. <laughs> okay. First Please. one. E3 has ended. How was the vibe on the floor? Consumerism? The second one. <laughs> Top demographics. Who does E3 serve best? Hello, fellow teens. And finally, small developers. Are they lost in all the noise? Rapid montages. The middle one, I think, only had six. What is wait? Is it five six? It's five, five, seven, seven, five, five, five seven five. Yeah, yeah the yeah, middle yeah. one of the second one only had six. I think. Am I miscounting? No. Who does E three serve does the E3 best? Serve the best. Oh, that, how did I miss a word? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe like E three one word. Uh, <laughs> in terms of vibe and in terms of the question of small developers, I would say I've been thinking about this a lot, and there are. I things, actually think it was like probably not bad for them. One hundred percent with like you. Indie, yep. Indie, mm-hmm. Indiecade specifically. I, so. Uh, E3 is a bad, as is currently designed, uh, convention for fans. There's just not, we've talked about this before, we don't need yep. to completely retry this, but it's, there's not much to do. So, but you're there, you've paid to be there, maybe you've already done the thing that you waited in line for, you got like a fast pass to Final Fantasy VII, you got three hours to kill, you're walking around, 
and you don't want to drink anymore because you've already gone to the seven different places where they serve beer on the one of the, the halls, uh, like places like Indicator, like you can sit down and play a game in a couple of minutes. There are open kiosks. Like those are those advantage smaller developers that can offer that by virtue of not being the, the big brands, the big franchises. Um, and there was lots of really cool shit in the Indicate section, you know, stuff like Dicey Dungeons that like yeah. I haven't played yet and I wanted to. And um, so I think... There are worlds where stuff like that are advantaged by E3 being in its weird yep. place. I'd, not by design necessarily. Um, it's not as much as where like a place like PAX like goes out of its way to sometimes prioritize indie developers like through its programming. Um, but um, I think there was a situation like especially like this year where like right next to the indie the indie booth is right next to the Nintendo booth. Um, so you had lots of people that were scoping those lines, checking those out, and if they bounced off that, then they were in a prime position to go check out some of the cool shit that was over there. But again, yeah. I feel like that was more like spillover than E3 being like, we think independent <laughs> development is really important to us. Uh, do you remember what I was... Go see, the, go see the ESA's comments on things like unionization. So, yeah, you know, 100%. Color me skeptical. Um, remember how I was almost late to our cyberpunk meeting? Uh, our, mm-hmm. Not meeting, but, uh, you know, demo. Um Part of that was that I thought – so I thought it was in the big booth. I thought it was in their big cyberpunk booth. And because I was so close to that, I was like – I ran into a couple of fans who uh, who I was like, I'm right near the booth. I can hang out and talk to them for like 15 minutes. It's not a big deal. <laughs> uh, it turned out to be a big deal. But one of the things that they were saying was like how disappointed they were as fans of, the sh- of, of games to come to E3 and like not have anything to do, not be excited by anything. But before I left them – I was like, go go to the Indicate booth. And they were like, oh, we already went. That is the only fucking cool thing here. There's so yeah. much there to play. There aren't long lines. And so, like, one, hi to those folks who are listening, probably. But two, there's specifically, that was, like, a huge difference, which is, like, there's cool stuff to play. And, yeah, maybe you wait 20 minutes. But 20 minutes is not six hours. It's oh, not yeah. three hours, even. Yeah. And you're going to talk to the developer, most totally. likely, right? Totally. Or someone who's, like, deeply, you know, it's the same when people have asked, you know, before E3 open. It's like, what do I do at PAX? It's like, well... You know, if you want, if you really want to go see Borderlands or whatever, like go do that, right? Like you right. should follow right. your heart and go see the stuff that you you paid to to come see and and figure that out. But like, if you're interested in like chatting with people, like you know, the PR people are very friendly at those booths, I'm sure. But yeah. if you want to talk to developers, people who are like doing the nuts and bolts of like the game design, like Indiecade was like some of the closest you were going to get to like a similar type of thing at at E3. And totally. so I would hope whatever that thing is going forward. You know, whether it's at there or somewhere else is like it'd be nice if there were like more dedicated areas for stuff like that. I you know, I'd love a student yeah. showcase, you know, like people that could come up and you know, the uh what's the the booth that rotates? Uh I mean I know there's the um What's the big uh, the the PAX indie booth? Indie mega booth, the mega booth. Right, but so within the indie mega booth, there is then uh, like a like the, section the, in that the mic the mini si- booth, the micro booth, the indie mega. Yeah, mini like it booth. cycles out every day. Like there's just new shit every day, so they can get right. more people in there. You know, I would just I would like to see more things like that, both because E3 is its own prestige show. Like, however mm-hmm. it goes, like it holds a certain place, so it'd be nice that people can benefit from that a little a uh, bit more. Um, and then. Yeah, there's more things for people. To, I like. I literally feel bad. You're like people are spending a lot of money to go to this show, and it's like they, there's not even that much to do around it. Honestly, like even if you just don't even care about games, like there aren't like fun things to necessarily. At least PAX is like what a you, game what works you, what or something. What are you fucking saying about Shaquille's? Damn. I'm saying yeah. that do you want to pay for thirty dollar ribs? You can pay for thirty dollar ribs. Those and ribs are just be okay. That good. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> um. 
I, the other the other part of this is like maybe not tiny developers, but I think like mid-sized developers and especially mid-sized publishers probably come come across okay too. I think about something like seeing Empire of Sin, which was the sure. Romero Games like mobster uh, tactics game that we talked about on one of our pods. That's a game that would have gotten lost in the shuffle at a bigger E3 this year right. than this year's rather, where if I if Sony had been there, I probably would have been like, yeah, Rob can go see that. Um, but one person, or on we that. wouldn't have saw it, right? Or at all. Like for yeah. like, I totally. uh, like I saw a game like Carry On, the, right. the one of the games announced at Devolver's press conference, which uh, was kind of a confusing trailer with a big blobby mass of red. Well, as it turns out, like that, that's like it's a Metroid game where you're playing like as this monster that like has to uh, deal with uh, like the size of its mass, like as you're killing things mm-hmm. and amassing things, you actually need to, like strip off stuff of that because it's tied to your abilities where like the bigger you are the more abilities you have but you also shed abilities that you can't do on the lower end so you're like constantly managing your mass like hiding it in weird it's like a really fascinating game that in a normal year I probably would have seen a presentation for The Last of Us 2 instead right Um, Right. and that would have been a thing where I watched a trailer and like oh maybe I'll go see it at PAX so like that was one of the actually the neat byproducts of E3 was I got to be a little more uh, I'll go see that weird game that normally I just watch a trailer for um, and actually just go see it and, and play it and check totally. it out. Totally. So, yes, yeah, so things like Paradox or, like, who's publishing Empire Sin or even, like, the people who have booths on the floor, Natsume and, like, Ax- Axis and, you know... Who? You know, Axis Games. Is that who who I'm thinking of? They, like, publish makes... a bunch of Japanese games. Like, people um, who do, like, small, like, NIS. Oh, you know what I mean? Factory? Sure, yes. Yeah, is that NIS or is that I Axis? I don't know which one that who, is, but that was on the Rune floor. Factory? Yeah. Rune Factory. Rune Factory Natalie is... was very excited about Rune Factory. Maybe I'm getting, maybe, I, I always confuse, there's two publishers who I always confuse. Uh, Marvelous. Marvelous is, was was the one who was on the floor. Oh, right. Xseed. Listen, I'm just naming ver- Rising, uh-huh. Rising Star. Uh-huh. Not to make, which one is it? Who could say? Uh, but that scale, because they have kiosks on the floor, where again, the wait is 15 minutes, 20 minutes to like go right. play something right. that is coming out this year. Like that is so much more worth worth time than the sort of like long wait. Um, and again, yeah, for us, I definitely felt like I saw more stuff. The vibe was bad though. That show was not great. Next question comes in from uh, Mellow. Not our Mellow, a different Mellow. Who says, Hi, after a long E3 work week of coverage and meetings, I often find myself missing smaller fan events that are specific to the things I have, uh, the things I have to remind myself why I love this medium so much. For example, once a year since 2014, I fly to National Harbor for MAGFest to enjoy a giant convention without any advertisements or demos, just fans. Uh, the the question here is: Are there any conventions, gaming or otherwise, that you attend simply to enjoy and not cover? You did fan, you did Star Wars fan fest this year, didn't you, Patrick? Yeah, um, that's a fan. Uh, yeah, thing. that you was like, cover that. That was a fan thing. Yeah, I like I like Star Wars a lot. My wife is the Star Wars super fan, and got to take my daughter around and see a bunch of uh, costumes and and what she called monsters um, and stuff like that. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, it weirdly, actually, even for me, like, PAX is that, because I don't cover PAX. Like, I mean, I go there, like, you know, talk to fans, stuff like that, but, um, like, that for me is, like, a hangout and see people convention, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I see a lot of my colleagues and friends as someone that works from home um, that doesn't get a lot of chances to go to events or just casually go get a drink with someone on a Friday. Um, so PAX, like, has post-Giant Bomb 
or starting with Giant Bomb, I don't know what it's like to work packs, and I, I'm just going to put it in, like, my rider. They're like, I don't work that event. I don't know what that means to work that event. I just go there to hang out. <laughs> you, go to hang out. you see some games, and you email those developers later, and are like, hey, that was that seemed cool. Can we get a build? Can we? You want to talk about that game now that PAX is over instead of trying to do it on the floor? Um, I could see, uh, so I don't do a lot of stuff for the kind of thing that the person writing is talking about. I don't, I get so exhausted from that stuff. Like I have almost zero interest in like going to conventions, but I am excited for like, as my daughter gets older and like she has interests, like I could see myself getting very into attending stuff like that that is related to whatever she is into. But like personally for me, like I'm usually kind of done. Like I do enough of them over the course of a year, like three like three is enough for me that I don't need like another one for for me personally. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same space. I have not been I have not gone a month without travel this year. I don't think oh. between personal. Well, I guess stuff I might get dragged stuff. to that. Uh, what's the one in August that I might go because you're going to be out near me? Gen Con. Um, Are you going to come out to Gen Con? Gen Con. It's Maybe in I, have to, I have to. I couldn't go myself, so I need to get a, approval from the family. But uh, oh, you should. Indianapolis is not that far away. Yeah, you should so. come nice. through. I'm going there for Friends at the Table. We're doing a live show, um, yeah. which is exciting. But also, so yeah, every month this year I've gone somewhere for Damn. either work or for travel or for personal stuff. Right. Um, or at least since February. I th- uh, No, all year. All year I have. Damn. Now I'm thinking about it. Because um, I did like that talk out in California. Uh-huh. Then I then we did then we did um, pack stuff. I did some other personal travel. I went out to California for Judges Week. Then again this month for E3. I did. I'm doing. Um, I, there's a chance I'll be in Toronto next month for a couple of days. We'll see. I just got an invite to do a thing up there. And then after that is Indianapolis. And I'm just like desperate for a fucking month to myself where yeah. I don't have to think about a plane, where I don't have to get onto a plane, or I don't have to get into a bus for 12 hours like, right. or whatever. Um, and, and the other half of this is like there is – it has become weird to go to some of these conventions to some degree where – I do want that anonymity. I, I, I wish I had a secret thing that no one knew about. Like, I wish I was, like, deep into pizza ovens and I could go to Pizza Con and, like, <laughs> no one there. That exists? Yeah, is yeah, there yeah. A pizza there's con? a pizza convention. Yeah. There's multiple pizza cons. I know someone who's just at a pizza convention. Um, there are different types of pizza cons. Uh, so there's, like, retailer-focused ones and there's also, like, chef-focused ones. Anyway. Um, pizza Con, Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> things to get my daughter into so I have an excuse to go. <laughs> Pizza. <laughs> um, uh, but I wish I did because it can be – I've talked about on – over on Be Good and Rewatch It, a great podcast in my opinion, uh, five-star podcast, five-star runtime. Um, <laughs> still going. It's still going in my heart. Uh, I talked about being an introvert uh, over there and that's not a thing. I think some, someone wrote in a letter that was like, well, you know, for me, I read the character of Mr. Darcy as an introvert, which I, I guess isn't something you, y'all would understand because you're all pretty extroverted. I was like, no, uh, not at all. Like the fact that we talk into microphones for a few hours a day does not actually mean that we had that we are, we are extroverted in that way. And in fact, for me, I, I can get up in front of a panel yes. and pound the table and be an outwardly performing person. Yeah. And then when my wife and I are going to dinner, Ugh. I feel like acute stress about like going up and talking to like the person, <gasps> to, like just get a table. Yeah. Like, <laughs> w- like that's just like, you know, it is like debilitating stress. I don't want to like overblow it, but like I can get up and like t- be in front of a thousand people and not put on a Sora eye. costume. Right, right, yeah. right. And you would, you, it would not be like wild to like think a logical extension of it as like, that's just every day. And it's like, yeah. no, it's like, 
like last night my wife was like, can you take Jessica down the street so she can like go play with the neighbors? And I was like, I don't, I don't know. Like you mostly hang out with those neighbors. Like there's like stresses. I don't really want to do that. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's like, that's like the, the Delta between being performative. Yeah. And there's such a distinct uh, difference. Well, and for me, the big thing is when I'm in those situations, I want to be on and I need to be turn. I need to be like Austin. Right. I can't just be like, I can't just be, I have to be Austin Walker and it's, it is. I like doing it. It is. It is a role I like playing. It is like. Oh, it's a lot of. It's fun to be someone that is not. Right. <laughs> your more anxious but self exhausting. in some ways. It's so for me. It's even less. Like I'll do all that stuff. I will go talk to the server. I will go to like my family dinner party and like do my best to be as on as possible and like have engaging conversation and like be involved with everyone's life. And then I get home and I am like I can't talk to a person for two days. Yeah. I got back from E3 and all I wanted was to like sit in a quiet room where no voices existed <laughs> for a week like i'm still like i'm gonna finish this call and then i'm probably gonna go home and work from home for the rest of the day because i can't stand the idea of being in an office where people are still yeah um and so conventions are already like that for me we're like even a day even doing stuff i want to like i you know i signed up to a bunch of shit for for gen con which again is a big tabletop convention where i'm like i'm gonna play the battletech tabletop game i'm gonna go do battletech pods i'm gonna like play some indie rpgs and stuff like that and i know i'm gonna have fun but i'm already exhausted like i'm not looking forward to that trip at all except to like see my friends right. because I know it is just going – because it's been a long year already. I know it's just going to drain me and no amount of fun in this moment is going to counteract how exhausting it's going to feel. Right. And that makes me a grump and I know that. And like – but when I'm there, I'll just turn it on. It'll be fine. It'll be 100%. It'll be great. Um, but yeah, so so it's hard for me to like get excited about those sorts of conventions. And, and then doubly so if it's the sort of convention where like – I'm going to be, and I don't want to, I'm not saying this to say don't say hi to me at conventions. I like meeting fans. It is rejuvenating. That's why we're there. That's why we're there. It is, it was, especially it's been cool at E3 to run into people who are fans and be like, hey, let's catch up really quick. Like, tell me how the show is going for you, all that stuff. But it is still more draining. I have to put out more of the battery on that stuff. Right. And no one should feel bad about doing that. I'm there because I've decided in this moment I want to put out more of that battery, but it is, it is exhausting. So, yeah. I take my quiet time where I can get it most years. Kado, do you do any um, convention type yeah. stuff? Yeah, uh, a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I like, say Kado. Kado immediately after going to LA was like, "I'm piecing the fuck out of here. I'm gonna go play some magic at a comic shop." That did happen. <laughs> that did happen. That was so funny. Um, that just I happened to be lying. a pre-release I thought weekend. I had. I thought <laughs> there was a bit being played on me when I landed. I was like, "Where's Kado?" And he's like, "He's at a comic shop." I was like, "Oh." Okay, I guess it's like a slow day. He's like, he's playing magic. I was like, the fuck? Like, okay, I love it. I love um, it. Did, like a friend? He's meeting a friend? Nah, nah, he just looked it up online. Yeah, well, it's a pre-release weekend. These sets come out at set times, and there's there's the weekend where everyone comes out to play it. So, um, but yeah, no, like, I've always, like, I've always been going to conventions. Mostly, like, anime has been the, the ones that I, like, attend the most, and then comic book ones, like when there weren't wasn't an anime one near me for a while there like when i lived in baltimore it was baltimore comic con and every once in a while we could make uh, scrap together enough money to do katsukan in washington dc cool. yeah, yeah, yeah but like here i will i will i try to hit up new york comic con every year and now anime uh anime nyc I'm mm -hmm. trying to go to it again as well and like part of the the things that i really actually love about those conventions is um, when they get um, 
when it's not um, non-industry panels, which are on really interesting topics, like things that are like these are fans kind of um, talking about the things they love in certain yeah. ways, or like like um, you know panels on like you have you been in have are you interested in uh, que- actual like queer stories by queer creators in anime like here's here's like a list of things that people don't talk about or know about like but these exist but these exist right, right? right. like things like that that are like really cool and interesting and totally. like i and aren't just buy our shit right exactly yeah or like or like even when it's like creators that are working within the industry like but they're speaking like like there was a really cool um last uh new york comic con i went to a, a year ago was um one of my favorite panels was the uh, Latinx in Marvel panel, which was just like all cool. the, like a seven Latinx creators that work in Marvel comics, but they were talking about their experience within and with and outside of Marvel and how Marvel operates within this space of you know like they're introducing more uh, 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 people of color like superheroes and things like that and like the like struggles of being that creator and like not getting. Not not getting picked for X project when you probably like when when they like it's like it's that thing where like co- corporations will not always pick the right people for something that is meant to be about yeah. people of color, right? Yeah, that, yeah. Like absolutely, and all that sort of uh, stuff is like the best parts of those conventions for me. So yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, I I spent years going to like anime conventions and comic cons when I was in high school and then especially in college right? Um, with friends and stuff and like splitting hotel rooms and all that shit yeah. and like let me tell you the drama the drama just got to me the scene drama <laughs> was too much I'm dead ass serious it was like you couldn't go to a convention without it being like breakup season uh, yeah. without it being some, some shit was happening or hookup season or both yes, that, let me tell you Patrick <laughs> those two things are often directly intertwined day one yeah. hookup huh. season yeah. day three bake a breakup season uh-huh. damn. 100% and often not with the same people right and that was always <laughs> part of See, that's the, the thing. problem that's, a, that's why oftentimes I could never afford to actually travel for cons and it would always have local to be in, cons. in a local cons yeah. Yep. You go home to yeah. your own bed. Yep. And you good. Let me tell you. There's no excuses. No. There's no excuse. Listen. I, I know my hotel is only next door, but I'm so tired. We're already here. Let's just stay here. It's no big deal. No. 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 Go walk Bad. across the skyway. Go back to your room. <laughs> Don't make any mistakes. God. Put the Jack Daniels down. <laughs> um, new question. This one comes in from Matt, who says, would you all be able to talk more about Astral Chain, Damon X Machina, or Phoenix Point? I don't think any of us saw Phoenix Point. Uh, neither Damon X Which Machina. One, what's that? Phoenix Which Point what is, is Phoenix Point? Phoenix Point is the new um, tactical RPG uh, by, uh, what is his name? Why am I blanking on his name? The original creator of XCOM. Um, oh. Uh, oh. Gollop, Julian Gollop. Right, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right. Um, right. It, is, it is like... It is like XCOM, but with more like Lovecraftian aliens. And uh, gotcha. it's like the quick and dirty pitch. I didn't see that. I know that was there in some capacity, uh, um, but I didn't see that. Huh. Uh, Damon X Machina was not playable on the floor, as far as I know. Um, yeah. Nor was it behind closed doors at Nintendo. They did a good. They did a, a good couple of Treehouse streams. The thing that I'll say about that, which I think I already maybe mentioned, was I like how they are. Um, 
addressing concerns from the prototype that they released. They released a prototype earlier this year, and they're like actually addressing some of those the concerns that were brought up with that, cool. which got me thinking about that as a as like a light early access model. Right. The idea that they actually so they released that demo in February, um, and in my mind, I was like, "This is a demo. This is going to be the game." Like outside of you know some small stuff. But when you look at the list of stuff that they're changing based on feedback from that prototype, it's the sort of stuff that changes after an early access period. Right. Um, they would never call it that, and it was free, you sure. know. And in some ways, it's like preferable to, to like buy into <laughs> an early access game. Yeah. Um, but there was a degree which was like, wow, cool. Like that's okay, cool. Uh, there was a story trailer for that that is complete nonsense last night. Great. Just it feels like a it feels like a marketing team got. 12 cutscenes, and they were allowed to take seven seconds from each cutscene and just <laughs> stitch something together. And it's just a proper so like, noun. So like a typical like uh, NDA embargo from a Japanese uh, game publisher. A hundred percent. So so yeah, I was like, eh, whatever. But there's a lot of, it seems like there's a lot of story in that game, Damon X cool. Machina. So sure. Astral Chain was also not playable as far as I could see. Um, but I do know... A little surprised given the fact that that was coming, uh, yeah. you know, it's coming in late August earlier than totally uh, I suspected um, um, I'm very excited to see how that like the mechanics of that actually mm-hmm. work because the Nintendo Direct man it made it look was there a treehouse actual demo of I don't know that game let's see Astral I would Chain, like to go back and watch treehouse. it if that was me true. too uh, um yes there were two there were two of those in fact shit wow. yeah, okay. it's like an hour of footage on that so we have to go back and watch that damn. gotta go um, back and watch like, all the damn treehouse tree like, let me tell so... you I love the fucking treehouse yeah. I watched the fire emblem treehouse thing oh shit that game looks so good fuck that game <laughs> also not playable on the floor um the fire emblem here or uh, not heroes uh what is it called? Not Fates. Uh, three oh, Houses? Oh, no. The three Houses. Sorry, the I thought you were going backwards. No, no, no. Three <laughs> Houses. Yeah, yeah. Looks like entirely my shit. The fact that there's like a time jump. The fact that there's like yeah. you start as a professor. I like, cannot <laughs> wait to just completely. Wait, I didn't realize this. Astral Chain is an upcoming action video game developed by Platinum Games and published on Nintendo for Nintendo Switch. It is directed by... Uh, Takahisha Tora? Tara, who was previously late game designer... Game designer, design, <laughs> designer for near. Uh, oh, autom- wow. uh, I didn't know. I didn't know that, huh. that connection. Um, the thing that people have been asking us to, to weigh in on is uh, surprise, police, uh, cops. Right. Astral Chain is a game yeah. where you fucking play as someone who is police on their chest. You right. are a cop, um, and this actually. One, my expectations are low with this regard. Sure. Uh, I watched that that trailer that was in the direct. Did give me some vibes of like. Wait a second. There was like oh secrets, yeah, like yeah, yeah. hidden, yeah, like yeah. like, the, um, and it, I guess if you know someone related with near, maybe there is like a reason to suspect there may be some subversion at work. But I think it, I think you are right, Austin. That is the right attitude. That Low expectations. What is Platinum known for? Uh-huh. Like they are known for exceptional gameplay. Hell. The whole chain mechanic might feel like really weird if you start thinking through the implications of that based on a lot of places they could take the narrative of that that game. That is the thing that I think that they'll end up being like, the chains are actually bad. In the end, we have to free them and work alongside of them by their own will instead of chaining these astral demons or whatever. Or you'll find one demon that's like, I'm cool with this. Yeah, I'm good (laughs) with it or whatever. Who knows, right? But the police thing, I don't know, did y'all see the Chris Plant interview with Tara? No. Should I just read this section? Yeah. Sure. Okay. Um, So. Who's the interview with? The guy, with with Tara. uh, Tara? Yeah. uh, Who, who is the lead gameplay designer? 
Plant over at Polygon uh, asks, in the United States, playing as a police officer in a video game is complicated. Our country deals with police brutality and police shootings. I recognize in Japan that the police are very different. Can you tell me what the perception of the police is in Japan and how a Japanese audience responds to playing with the police? And Tora says, uh, hmm, let's see. Well, I don't think that there's people within Japan who have an extreme view on the police department, which is definitely not true. There are definitely people in Japan who have strong feelings about the police. There's one person somewhere we can find. I promise you yeah. there is someone out there wanting the abolition of police in every everywhere. That is not a, a, uh, an unthinkable thing. Uh, through this game, we want to give the police the image of being a hero. You can't do things in this game like hurt people. We want to have the player feel like they're being heroic as they progress through the game. Also, I think it'd be good to, if you generally have a negative image of the police, but you play through the game, that your image or opinion of the police changes as a result of playing this game. Ooh. Finally, developers are out here <laughs> saying what the politics are. Yeah, I, I, I have yes. trouble even like generating any anger at that statement too. Because like, what like what what else did I expect? Yeah, like, I that, like, yeah this is a hundred percent in line with my expectations of a big name developer not understanding what plant is getting at here because they don't know what the, I'm not surprised by it. Do yeah. I wish there was a different answer? Yes. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not trying to like lower the bar as a way of just like absolving my desire to play what is probably like a really good, like game feel video game. Yes. It's more just, you know, I think one of the things we've talked about, uh, this three, three, especially is, like, it, it, wait for that game is like engage with the work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that game's gonna like come the, out. That kind and, of answer. Yep. Right. Like, and then I can talk about that. Like, how did my feelings on its depictions of police run up against my like love of the gameplay? Right. Like, like, and that's like a much more interesting conversation. Now, that, again, like we talked about, don't let people off the hook. But at the same time, recognizing the limits of what we're going to get or can, like can receive in terms of like interesting answers accountability in the access-based like gaming interview cycle that a lot of this stuff mm -hmm. comes out of and like when the game is out and we can judge it on the terms that it is then it's like that's like a much more interesting conversation um, i'm glad the questions are being asked right like i'm glad that same Shout asked out, yeah, yeah. Like I, that's I, that I, is I, the moment to do that for sure 100 percent. i also even if you get a BS answer, at least the BS answer is on the, record. on the record, and that in and some ways it. then informs how we uh, like approach, interpret the work when it comes out. Right. The other half of this is the idea. For, for me, the other thing there is I'm not an expert on on crime in Japan or on policing in Japan, mm -hmm. but I will say that it, that it does allow. Once you have that answer on record, you can go like, okay, well, wait, what is the state of policing in Japan? Because I do know that it is not as simple as like, well, the pol the police in Japan are cool, everything's fine. Like the <laughs> the specific stuff that I'd always read is that like, not always read, but recently have read mm -hmm. is that the lower crime rate in Japan has not been met by like a de-escalation of policing or like huh. a. The amount of police is still high, right. and they find things to do. And sometimes that means attending to crimes that were previously ignored, which is like things like sexual harassment and, and things that were like deprioritized for shitty reasons. Right. But other times it's like over, you know, uh, a more intense anti-drug, you know, policies and, and enacting those sorts of policies in ways that are not necessarily like right. useful or productive and are often like um, – uh, maybe a little too intense for what's being done. And so like, 
you know, do your own research on that. Uh, but I, I, what I will say is like, it is never as simple as like, well, the police are good there. Right. Uh, in the same way that like, whenever I hear people talk about like giving Japanese games a pass on their queer representation because, oh, it's just different over there in terms of being gay or trans, which happens all the fucking time. Mm. Like, it is as if there are not queer folks in Japan who are actively already like doing the political work to make their own lives better. Yeah. To fight for more for more rights and to fight for like a better relationship with Japanese culture. Like that stuff is happening and it is ridiculous for us to like hand wave it away as like things are just different, even though at the same time, what we shouldn't do is pretend that there is like when I when I read this interview with him, I'm not surprised that he isn't up on right. Japan or on American policing and like the, the situation there. Um, so it's it's about finding that 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 proper like balance between holding someone accountable for what we do know is happening in their in their own backyard. And also, if they're going to sell games globally, there is a degree to which I think there should be a degree of like recognition in the same way that I want to hold accountable Activision for the, its depiction of stuff in the Middle East. Like, yeah. even though we're not from the Middle East, like I, there is a degree of, of, of um, accountability that we, that we should think about. And this is like, how do, how do we find the right fit for that? Yeah. Um, uh, you gonna do one more, maybe Talk one more, one sure. more quick cue. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see here. Luigi writes in and says, uh, Hey y'all, Luigi. Luigi. Luji, great name, L-U-D-J-Y, mm. pronounced Luji. Hmm. Uh, yeah, they that write, would be a convenient. <laughs> they write, how cool is Luigi? No, they, they don't. <laughs> they say, hey, y'all, I was wondering how y'all felt about the reemergence of JRPG games like Trials of Mana or Mana uh, and Romancing Saga at E3 and what that might mean for the genre in the next gen. Did anime finally win E3? I don't think it won, but seeing those games in the direct was really cool. Yeah. Um. I've been thinking a lot about this morning. I spent a lot of time thinking about. I don't know why I got in this whole like answering a question that no one oh, asked. Oh, here me. we go. Mm. Uh, no, no, thinking about. Oh, I do remember why. I someone sent me a picture of something that was like uh, uh, a creepy grain silo, basically, and I almost wrote back like Silent Hill TK TK TK, <laughs> and TK in media journalism talk means to come. Like it's it's. Well, I'll fill in the details later. Insert later. Insert like, later. Hey, basically, game, if you're like pre-writing a story, it's like the, the, uh, Metal Gear Solid Five is coming out on TK TK, and then you fill that in, fill when it in it's later. Announced. And I realized like, the phrase Silent Hill to come is like the most terrifying thing. <laughs> I don't want Silent Hill to show up. No. Go away. And then I was like, well, then in my own mind I'm like huh I wonder when we're going to get another Silent Hill game and I was like well someone would tell me that we're never going to get one I'm like they're wrong we're going to get another Silent Hill game Konami is going to sell us a Silent Hill collection within the next three I years I saw that new I saw that new Contra I don't want a me new Silent either, Hill game all. stay away but eventually stay away. eventually they're going to fucking sell that portfolio no. within the next decade yeah. either they're going to invest in games again or someone is going to give them a check big enough that they get to be the ones who bring back Silent Hill Yeah. and then I, I was thinking about the the Konami the Contra collection that they did this year and then the Castlevania collections that they've been doing which those seem really good but, actually well and then I was thinking why are we getting uh -huh. all of these retro things right now and are they going to sell them to us again in five years on the next set of consoles are they going to make us relicense it depending on backwards compatibility and stuff like that yeah uh, and part of me was like well maybe the reason we're getting a lot of these things right now is that like. They are the audio, the install base on these consoles is fairly big. So they know that like the Switch is sold very well. Right. Like, hey, we got enough people who own this thing where if we put out Romancing Saga and Trials of Mana, 
people will buy it. They would not have bought, they would, would not have happened on the Wii U. The Wii U, <laughs> not enough people had that for there to be a subset of people who would have bought Romancing Saga. Um, so I think like, it's also the case that like, there's been a lot of communication from all the platform holders that yes. like you're good. Like there is going to be forwards compatibility. We're looking at these platforms as things that don't like we may be like the kind of world where like, okay, maybe even local compatibility disappears, but like cloud-based compatibility like continues like in you some know, way far into the future where it's like you can feel pretty reasonable. Like if you buy Super Mario World for the billionth time, like at least this one you'll probably have for the next 10 years mm-hmm. before right. you'd have to buy it again. Yeah, and so I think that, like, I think it's cool. I think it's, I'm excited for it. Um, there's a lot of games there that, like, I never played, and having those available is neat, even if I'm still not playing them yet. Um, there are so many JRPGs. There are so many, and I want to play them all. I think Square, like, put out a statement, this E3, that was, like, our, they're, like, taking a real big look at, like, the historical record mm. and, like, want to digitize and get everything, like, their Good. whole, the, the goal is, should. like, to eventually have their whole library uh, available, which would be... Neat, because it's like, look, have a base level. Aren't they the ones Chrono that... Trigger, Final Fantasy VI is available, and then do your rematch. Like, do the make me pay for like the cool shit. Like, do something interesting with it, and then I'm happy to pay again. But I've been well past the the date of wanting to pay for. You know, it's just so easy to get that stuff elsewhere and in easier what? ways. Like, just was go it, ahead, Kato. Was it Square that I recently saw on Twitter? Somebody say that they like would delete their source code, like, after a game shipped? I mean, that's, com- like, yeah, go look up the history of Japanese game developers. Right. Like, so source code management is bad yeah. in general, like, in the, you know, 70s, 80s, and even 90s. Um, but, yeah, like, the running theory on, like, FF8, like, the reason it hasn't been in collections, the reason that it's taken this long for them to do anything is that they lost the source code. Oof. And so to... To remaster oh. that game, to do anything with that game, means to build it all over again. Wow. Um, um, which is one of the theories for why yeah. even other obscure Final Fantasy games have gotten, you know, some, like, love. And even though Final Fantasy VIII has always been seen as sort of, like, uh, kind of the the strange one of that PS1 bunch, like, it's beloved enough that it should have gotten re-released in ways that it has not. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, like, absolutely true. Like, I think it was... There was some quote I saw from E3, and it might have been from a Square, uh, maybe the same interview where they this quote about like getting their whole their whole library up was where, like one of the games they were porting. The only reason they were able to then bring it along was because like they called up all the developers and someone had an old computer in their basement where they found wow. the code. Um, and like that's like the degree to which there has been such poor that's preservation wild, with yeah. a lot of this shit. Um, I may be misattributing that to Square, but that 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 actual like sort of story is like you can find that a million times over, um, which is why you know I mean uh, I think just probably three uh, motherboard put up a piece about like you know the preservationists who are going after like the stuff on Ouya, which was a garbage platform, but had some cool games yeah. um, on it that a lot of them did come to other platforms, a bunch of them didn't, um, and that stuff just fucking disappears unless. People do the work along the margins to to find that shit, and then you end up that ends up helping developers later that didn't do the work uh, themselves. Totally. All right, so here, Patrick Cotto, is what I think we're gonna do. We're gonna call this podcast over, but then 
we're going to record a second <laughs> question bucket only podcast because Damn. that is how many questions we got. And I've looked through many of them now. And they're like, fuck, I want to answer that. Fuck, I want to answer that. <laughs> Shit. And I, we ran out of time on this one. So we're going to stop this one. And then we're going to, we're going to, you can come back later this week for the follow up. Yeah. Question bucket deep dive. So the deepest of dives. Shout outs to Bowen for letting us use the track Miss You off the EP panel machine. Find out more about that. Waypoint.zone. Oh, right. Slash B O E N. <laughs> Bowen has a new for... soundtrack out, by the oh, way. That's cool. Uh, I think because Lovely Planet 2 is coming out. Oh, nice. Lovely Planet is a really cool, like, arcadey first person shooter with a great soundtrack. So check uh, that out. Kato, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, at A underscore Kato underscore appears. Trying to remember, remember where I that. saved Bowen's music because I've been using that Christmas. Christmas is over. Stuck baby. in my head. Game like I, 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 I'm all, I was already imagining the like outro music playing I under know. this bit. Different, different type. <laughs> uh, Patrick, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me at AlienCon uh, this Friday. Um, at the <laughs> Do you have a panel Angeles or anything? Convention Center. Uh, yeah, you don't. You can't one. say. We'll you can't get... say. That's spoilers for the people <laughs> oh, buying. Right. That's true. Sorry. Yeah. You have yeah. to buy the you... seven thousand dollar edition. <laughs> God. <laughs> We've been doing this wrong. We could just charge more for shit. Austin. Yeah. Damn. You know? Damn. Yeah. I, if only. Do you want to see our personal editorial calendar? <laughs> then <it's> not- <laughs> our new Patreon tier. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, you find everything we do, twitter.com slash waypoint. Uh, you can go to vice.com slash games or waypoint.vice.com. Uh, and as always, you can also go to facebook.com slash waypointvice. No idea if that page is still updated. It is. That's good. Yes. Shout outs to the social team for updating that page. Yeah. Uh, we'll be back later this week. Wait, YouTube. YouTube.com says Waypoint Vice. Shout outs yeah. to the incredible video team here who not only put those videos up from some of our streams mm-hmm. last week, but also started doing little excerpts uh, of some of the key conversations. Like you can, if you just want to look at our conversation about Breath of the Wild 2, you can just pull that up, um, which I think makes it easy to share. So people should go find those and share those. And again, shout outs to everyone who made that possible on the back end here. Uh, And also just shout outs to the video team here who have been real supporters of us over the last couple of months who have like come out of the woodwork, both the video and the media tech teams actually, who both come out and been like, we think y'all make good stuff. I wish you were in a place to make more good stuff. And we also also want to get back to streaming and doing more video stuff. And with their help, we've been able to do at least a little bit. So shout outs to them. Um, all right, that's gonna do it for us this episode. We'll be back later this week with more from the question bucket about E3, the future of gaming, small questions like that. Stay tuned, uh, and until then, peace. Want truly hydrated skin? Medocia's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu dot com code SUMMER. Let's do what time that is. Let's do a... Uh...
Um, and do uh, 43. Hold Unless on, you don't hold have on. it. You don't have it. You don't have it. That's <laughs> no, fine. If I had 44, I could have had it. That's I was just, right. I needed one more second. All right. All right. Let's, do, let's do 52. Okay. Kado, I know you're a big fan of Destiny. Yeah. Did you know that destiny is not a matter of chance, it's a matter of choice. It is not a thing to be waited for, it is a thing to be achieved. Says William's William Jennings Bryan. Is that about power 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 level? Yeah, it's about power level. Okay. You have to go out there. I gotta go get that gear. Get that get, gear, get raise my power your, level up. I still wanna call it a light level. I still say it all the time. <laughs> light level's more interesting. Yeah, to exactly. Say out loud. Um all right. But I guess people were confused. Mm. Yeah. Mm. 